0: Welcome. You're at the Suicide Prevention Show, where we are making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. We get that suicide is serious, and we believe that suicide prevention is seriously fun. And that message hit this next speaker like a slap in the face. His name is Steve Garvin and he's going to share his journey on this message. And it's been an amazing ride since I first met this man. So, welcome to the show. Everybody, raise your hands, go in there and put your hands up, give a big high five for my friend, Steve Garvin. Steve, unmute, come on, get, there you are. Yay! There I am. There you are. Oh, I'm so excited to see you.
1: to see you, Jackie.
0: Ah, wow, what a journey we have been on. (laughs) That is true. The message you sent me about being a Toastmaster. Okay, so here's what I want. I wanna give everybody really good context. And so I'd like for you to tell them Whichever part of your story you want to start with, whether it's your Toastmaster journey or whatever part of your story, Steve, I'm going to let you just take over the show for a minute. Though I do reserve the right for comments. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That sounds fair. Well, I actually want to address what you just said about from slap in the face to slapstick. It was at your last an invitation to your last suicide prevention show that I responded to the, the line in there that said, you know, let's make this fun. And I responded that for someone who has struggled mightily at times with suicide, that suicide wasn't anything to be made fun, that it was, it felt like a slap in the face to me. And since then, you and I have had a a few conversations to say the least. And I've actually also begun to find a different way to tell my story. That it doesn't, while it does address suicide which is a serious subject and a serious threat to far too many people that there's actually, as with almost everything, there is a lighter side to it. And if we find that lighter side, that it actually becomes less of a burden to carry around, right? That if we can find the humor in the situation, then it just makes it much easier to to move forward and to make light, not necessarily just make light as in humor, but make light as in that it's an easier backpack on your back while you're traveling life's journey, right? And so I have begun the process of retelling my story from a humorous standpoint, rather than just an inspirational standpoint. And both of them have value, both of them have significance to them. It's just as the authors of our story, we get to, determine the voice with which we're telling that story, right? So, you know, at times it's appropriate to tell that story from a sad point of view or with a sad voice. Sometimes that it's appropriate to tell that story with a humorous voice. You know, there are th- things about my struggle with suicide that really are kind of funny. You know, the um my trip to the bathroom, uh, where I heard a voice, and I was like, "Oh, wake up!" And you know, it was both very serious and also kind of, "That's weird that that happened." And you know, um, but it's it's being able to look at her story with kinder,
0: more compassionate, and sometimes more humorous eyes. Oh, that's a great, great perspective, Steve. One, to realize that it is our story. You know, our life is is our story. And just like anybody else's story, we can look at it from all kinds of perspectives if we give ourselves permission. It's not just a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. So your willingness, Steve, to sort of accept the challenge of, what the show is about. Because um, the backstory for, for me, the, the clarity that came to me when you challenged the messaging of the summit was that I realized that I had a story that said, everybody's gonna understand the difference between prevention and intervention, and the reality is nobody did. Um, you know, it, it's like, oh my God, the way I see the world is not the way everybody sees the world. (laughs) And as soon as we can, as soon as I started to embrace that, I got a lot clearer on who I am, what I'm about. And it's, it's not quite my way or the highway, but it is my ballpark. And this is the rules that I play by. And if you understand the rules and want to play, let's play. Your bravery, to participate in the last summit where you attended, and then you came on and, and we did an impromptu kind of you know, open, visible discussion to the world. Steve, that came from something that you sent me right before the summit or even during the summit that said you realized that you weren't speaking up in a way, in enough ways. You, know, you were speaking up from this one perspective, and you weren't speaking up in enough ways to have the impact you wanted to have in the world. And for you to make that one decision, Steve, is so amazing that it was like, oh, yeah, come on, let's talk about it some more. Let's invite everybody into the conversation about changing your story, changing how you look at your story letting some light in, lightening up, you know? So your new talk that you do at Toastmasters. Okay, so for those who don't know Toastmasters, what is Toastmasters? Let's just take them down that road. Sure,
1: Toastmasters is an organization, an international organization that has, I don't know how many thousands, but many, many thousands of members who are on a path to not only become more comfortable with public speaking, but also to improve and develop their leadership skills. It's it's designed to help us grow in our confidence Mm
0: -hmm. and in
1: our communication skills, right? And I joined, personally, I joined Toastmasters back in January of 2015. And it was actually a big part of my journey and recovery from the depression that I was in that, that brought me to a point where I was really suicidal. It gave me a, a platform, an audience, a community in where I could share what was going on with me in my life, right? That I remember one of the, the speeches that I gave in the club early on was I was supposed to deliver this prepared speech I was struggling with depression really bad. And sometimes when that happens, it's really hard even just to get out of bed. And so I show up to give the speech and the whole speech is about how I'm so depressed that I couldn't give my speech, right? (laughs) And at the end of it, I got a standing ovation. And I was expecting, I didn't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting a standing ovation, that's for sure. I was expecting, you know, you really should have shaped up and, you know, done what you're supposed to do and, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's and all that. And I wasn't in a place where I could do that. And they were accepting of that. In fact, they were incredibly supportive and and really encouraging. And they helped me to realize that this weight, that this story that I've been carrying on my back, I didn't have to bear alone for one thing. And two, that I didn't have to hold the shame that I had around it, right? That I could tell my story openly and that has definitely been an evolving process as in the the last iteration of going from slap in the face to the slapstick in which now I'm involved in a humorous speech contest and I'm working on and have done delivered this speech twice already, and we'll be delivering it again on Saturday morning, in which I'm telling my story and my struggle with suicide from a humorous perspective. And one of the comments that I get a lot is, and actually even before I started delivering the speech, I, I was giving myself the, this comment was, you know, this is supposed to be humorous speech, right? that it's not supposed to be heavy and you know droopy and gloomy and all that um and one of the things that I did in order to kind of prep myself for that was looked at other comedians and how they addressed more serious somber topics right so I looked at Richard Pryor and he talked him talking about heart failure and going to the hospital and so forth and i watched Robin Williams when he had just had heart surgery and then he goes on to David Letterman you know and he, he comes on to David Letterman dressed up in scrubs and he's got a, a little lunchbox igloo uh, lunch container and he's talking about the organs that he has inside there right and you know he's just had heart surgery in fact it was such a It was so serious. The doctors were like, okay, I'm scrapping my plans for vacation. We're having this operation now, and let's get this thing done. So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't trivial. It was serious, but he was able to find the humor in it, right? Mm -hmm. So why can't, and the, the thought that I had going through my mind was, well, why can't we address this really serious, really scary, really difficult subject of suicide from a more, lighthearted spirit right <laughs> which is really kind of funny because suicide when you're stuck in that place where you know you just want it all to end that feels about the that's about the heaviest thing you can think of right i mean it's like the not only is the house on top of you but the whole city's on top of you right and you're, you're like struggling to to grasp some air you know to, to climb out from underneath that So it's this really heavy thing, and how can you actually elevate it, lift it, lighten it, so that it doesn't feel so heavy? Because I think, to your point, and the thing that I got from the communication that you and I have had since my first response to that email, was that, you know what, if we are playing, if we are happy, if we are joyful, you know, we're not going to get to that point when we're suicidal. You know, it's when we forget to be, to laugh, it's when we forget to have fun, it's when we forget to make light of our lives that we get to that point where everything is so heavy that all we want is for it to end, right? And so it's not, it's not saying that the struggles aren't real. It's not saying that, you know, oh, just lighten up, which is one of the things that annoyed the out of me Uh when you know I was struggling with depression and people would just say oh just lighten up you know just go get some sunshine or and I'd been doing like everything I could possibly do in order to get into a better place and so their light comments about you know it being just lighten up Uh that that felt very much like a slap in the face you know
0: we've got we've got a name for that now we call it toxic positivity Mm. you know you got a positive slogan and instead of being supportive, you're placated or any other word you want to use. So yeah, we got a name for that. <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's probably
1: whitewashing okay. like the, you know, the, the situation. And it's
0: so from those experiences, your response to our marketing message makes perfect sense. Because if you thought we were coming at it from that place, then, yeah, I can see why mm, you said what you said. (laughs) (laughs) We've got one of the best relationships that ever started with a slap in the face, Steve. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It's funny how often that happens in my life.
0: So your, your journey with asking these questions of how do other people bring humor to really serious topics, to things that are very, very challenging? How do other famous people handle life's mega challenges? Because you know, when we're talking the, the, you know, the, the unexpected, unscheduled, unplanned, unprepared for heart surgeries, you know, those kinds of events, and you know um most of us have had one or two and if (laughs) if if anybody listening to this has never had an event like that i'm going to invite you to my view of the world because steve i finally figured out what the common human experience is where i the the whole post-traumatic triggers came from And it's when we got pushed out of our comfort zones without our permission. Mm. It happened with COVID. But the reason that this is triggering so many of us is because it's harking back to the first time we got pushed out of our comfort zone without our permission. And everyone has experienced it. It's called birth. Mm. (laughs) When we were yes. born, we were pushed out of our comfort zone without our permission, and we've been pissed about it ever since.
1: <laughs> and sometimes that happens more than once, but. <laughs> yeah,
0: it does. And and I think that your ability to question, how do other people make it humorous when we have these things that have the potential to be very heavy? Um, my own experience with depression, um, Yeah, having survived two bouts of clinical depression. Your description was very, very much the experience. And so let's take people on the journey you've been on in the last few weeks, where you started asking this question of how do I bring light to this topic? What happened? (laughs) Well,
1: one of the things that I know from working with story in general and writing writing that i do on a regular basis is that the first draft oftentimes is just a way to get it out right it's just to the whole point of it isn't you know to write a bestseller it's not to you know have all the grammar correct and the the language perfect and everything it's just to get it out (laughs) my first two attempts at delivering my speech in a humorous way (laughs) is very much a work in progress. The first time I had literally more tears coming to my eyes than than laughter, (sighs) and I got really caught up. I forgot as soon as the camera went on and the mic goes on, and at a similar situation, Zoom and everything, my mind just went blank. I'm just like, Okay, I'm just gonna have to make it through this. And I've given speeches, I don't know how many speeches I've given, but a lot. So I'm pretty good at, at filling up the time and, and filling in the blank spaces of, of life. And I made it through it, but it was not a humorous speech. And the second time I gave the speech, which was two weeks ago, I found some more humor in it, but I was also still, str- I was just that morning, I was determined that I was going to send an email to the Toastmaster, the person who was in charge of, of the meeting, and tell her that, sorry, I just can't do this today. It's not going to happen. I'm not ready. I'm too caught up in the emotions of it. And I something happened while I was meditating about that and realizing, you know, I have an opportunity here to turn this around, that I can own the struggle that it is, and I can own the humor in it, right? That I can be okay that I don't have this all worked out. And this time, I changed the, the topic a bit from just my story about suicide to what do we shove in the closet, right? You know, what do we keep behind the closet door? And joked around a little bit about that. And it, and it moved me closer to where hopefully I'll be on Saturday when I deliver the speech for the third time. And hopefully this time it really will be a humorous speech and there will be more laughter than there will be tears. Uh, either way, it's, it's, a, it's a journey, it's a progress, you know? And, it, and it's the, the main thing, and one of the things that I learned the most from my struggle with suicide is that you know it's not really about calling an end to everything it's calling an end to certain parts of your story right you know what are the parts of your story that aren't working you know what in my case with this humorous speech what are the parts of my story that aren't funny right you know how do i <laughs> how do i bring in the parts that that are more humorous in order to make it more of a humorous speech and that's what we're constantly doing with our lives, or at least we have the opportunity to. When we become the authors of our life, rather than just the actors or the agents in our life, then we get to, to say, okay, well, this part of this story is working well for me, and I want to enhance it or elevate it, or this part of my story isn't working, and I need to figure out some way to either rewrite it or just eliminate it and it's by finding those pieces in our life that are are really funny or lovely or beautiful or poignant or whatever you know and 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 making our story be what it is that we want it to be that our story becomes well to just kind of reiterate what i just said that it becomes what what we want it to be you know instead of having the story of our lives that that fills awful and that we just want to close the books on Mm, you know
0: shove it in a closet
1: right yeah put it in the closet and shut the door (laughs) with all the other crap we've got shut in the closet
0: (laughs) not that i have any closets that are full of (coughs) crap Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right same here and and it's oh my god
0: what a great analogy steve i'm like I'm taking a, men- I am taking a I do not know about anybody else on the call, but I'm taking a mental inventory of my, clo- my physical closets in my house, thinking, ooh, you know, th- there's some stuff in those closets that, uh, yeah, th- th- there's, and I think maybe we all have stuff in our closets, Steve.
1: Yeah, and, and it's amazing to me how often we leave those, that stuff in our closets, you know? I'm, I am confident that we've got boxes in our stuff somewhere that we've had around since we got married, you know, almost 30 years ago, you know, that Ooh. that, that you know, we haven't lifted the lid to. It's just, you know, something we keep moving around because we don't want to deal with it, right? Um, and one of the reasons that this idea of coming out came to me is because I've had people in my life who have come out you know in the more classical sense you know and and I was talking to my daughter who came out um, as bisexual last November and I've actually asked her if, if it was okay for me to share this so
0: anyway Um, You know, thank you for that disclaimer. Having three daughters, I've learned that asking permission is so much better than asking for forgiveness.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Anyway, so she came out as bisexual last November. What I didn't, and there was always kind of, well, I wonder what's going on here, you know, just kind of something that, that I don't really fully understand what's happening here. That was seven years after she told the first person in her life that she had come out That she had come out to seven years. She had this locked up in her closet. Right. You know, and that's so often in our lives, we keep things locked up in our closet because we're afraid of what will happen when we open that closet and pull it out. Right. And there's a, there's a weight that comes with, keeping things locked up in our closets, you know? And it could be, you know, you know, sexual orientation or gender or, you know, for me it was being an accountant and really being an artist, you know, that, you know, I had to- Ow, ow, that sounds awful. It, It was, I mean, that was really what led me to my really serious struggle with depression and suicide was, you know, totally suppressing. One of the ways I talk about it is it's like I was a cast iron skillet right you know and I've got all the creative juices bubbling up underneath side but I've got such a lid tightened on the top of it that you know it it doesn't release until the lid blows and then there's a mess all over the place you got to clean up right.
0: Oh yeah and and then we go back and we put the lid back on because we think that's what we should do and we should be in a profession that is, you know, a recognized or whatever. Um, and this is how a lot of people lead their lives, Steve. I, I use, you have cast iron skillet. I use pressure cooker. Um, and now I have to call it an instant pot because apparently they, they <laughs> call a pressure cooker. It's still a flipping pressure cooker. Okay. So the, the <laughs> I don't like it when they mess with my analogies. So, um, but it's a great analogy because when we're out of alignment, we can vent, we can spew, and then if we don't take it as an opportunity to change, the lid just comes right back down and we start building up pressure all over again. And so this creative expression, now that you're working with story and helping other people work with stories, I'm just fascinated by your journey. I truly am because your ability to question this how do I lighten this up how do I bring humor into this how do I make this because you could do I mean you could pick any topic you want it, you know other than you know I know sometimes they do impromptu things in toastmasters but you could do any topic you want for your talks you chose to take on a challenge That's a game-changing challenge in how your story will unfold from this moment on, Steve. Absolutely. Your ownership of your story is nothing short of inspiring to watch. And I just am so incredibly grateful that you are willing to share this journey with us on the show so that other people might start to question their stories might start to recognize that what they've got in their closet is actually the weight they're carrying on their soul and that there's a way to lighten that up It doesn't have to be the way that you're doing it it doesn't have to be through you know publicly sharing but there are ways there are ways and one of the ways is the way that you do it and that reminds me You have this whole amazing gift. I love this gifts into gold um, methodology that you have developed. And so Katie's going to put that in the chat for everybody because it is about recognizing ourselves as healers and taking that as a treasure hunt. And so the fact that you've created a treasure map And the first thing is just to recognize that as owners of our story we actually are in a self-healing mode from the moment we take ownership of our story steve we go from being victims of what we thought was reality into becoming healers in our own lives and the fact that you took that and turned it into something that people can actually use i just Thank you so much for being willing to give that to everybody. It's means a lot. So tell us about this, okay? Because <laughs> I'm a hot mess. So tell us about this.
1: <laughs> well, I like the description that Katie put in there: that find the traps and treasures on your treasure hunt. Because really, one of the things that I first, I'm going kind of go way back. I've always been in love with story. Story has been a part of my life since as long as I can remember. But I didn't really realize the power of story until recently, right? That story was always something that I consumed rather than what I created. Even though I've written many, many, many stories, I didn't see it as applying directly to my life, right? That that the and, and I don't I would be interesting to, to hear what your response to this is Jackie, but you know that, that in our own lives we are the hero of our journey, right? Mm-hmm. You know we are the ones that, that face the dragons or the mountain or the villain or whatever. And that villain mountain dragon, whatever, may be suicidal urges. It may be having a loved one in your family that it was, is suicide. It may be, you know, a job that sucks all the energy out of you. It may be a relationship that takes more than it gives, you know, and in the beginning of our journey, if we will notice that we have a desire for things to be different in some way, right? You know, either that, that the environment in which we reside changes or that the person who is in that environment, i.e. us, changes in some way, right? That we become the, the people that we can become. Mm-hmm. So what this guide is designed to do is to look at three areas of our lives, and uh, this is also something that, that Jackie and I share, and that is the idea of self-determinism. It's uh, the idea that shows up in books like daniel pink 's Drive and this um, emotional you 'll have to tell chime in about the the cards and things, Jackie, but you know getting in touch with with those aspects of ourselves there the way that I put it is that there's liberty, labor, and love right are the three ingredients to a fulfilled life that the liberty to be who we are, to be free to to express ourselves in the way that we express ourselves, the labor that we engage in, the work that we do in order to make a difference in the world and the love of the people with whom we are doing that work, right? Our audience, our mentors, our peers, our community. And by being getting gaining clarity as to what that looks like for us as individuals, not, not universally, but personally, that as we get clear on what those desires are, get clear on what the obstacles are that keep us from getting realizing those desires, that we change our story that by getting, gaining greater clarity as to who, what our story is and what the story is that we want to be telling, not just the story about the past, but the story that is ahead of us, the story that we're stepping into, you know, it gives us the opportunity to literally be the author of our own lives. And one of the things that's interesting about being the author of our own lives, and I love the story behind words, the word author, you'll notice has the same root stem, the A-U-T-H, as authentic or authority or, um, I'm forgetting, but (laughs) I'll be authentic about my forgetfulness here. Uh, But but when we, it's about making decisions, making choices that come from within, not from without and and being able to find our own voice as to what the story is that we're telling, you know, and, and as we find that voice, and as we share that voice that our voice becomes clearer and stronger and more powerful. And that's one of the things going back to earlier in our conversation, Jackie, when I realized that with my story around suicide, that's something that I have, it took me six years to talk about it publicly at all. I've been, I talk about it and have been since that point happened about two, two and a half years ago. But I haven't taken out onto the road, if you will, as a mission of you know, making a, a difference and, and helping people find the bright lights in their dark nights. <laughs> you know, that uh, for a long time, I didn't feel like anybody was listening to that story, right, you know, that nobody wants to hear about suicide. <sighs> that it's, it's a problem, but it's, it's a problem that's out over there and it's not something that I want to take on, right? And so I, I realized, you know what, this is part of my story, this is part of my mission, this is part of the difference that I want to make in the world. And in order for, for me to make that difference, I need to be creating that content, giving those speeches, having those conversations that make a difference in people's lives. And whether you know there are millions of people that flock to me or just one person that I make a difference with, you know, isn't really what the issue is. It's, for me, I am very much of those liberty, labor, and love. The thing that that resonates most strongly with me is that idea of liberty, right? You know, it's about creative self-expression. It's about being the person that I want to be. And if I'm putting that cast iron lid on top of my pot, my creative uh, stew, if you will, you know, then I'm, I'm not honoring that part of my story. And so...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I need to and have the opportunity and honestly have the, the pleasure of sharing that story, you know, and, and finding the humor in the story and, um, you know, telling the story in, in ways that, that can be fun, you know, <laughs> so that when Jackie sends me an email and says, let's talk about suicide, and let's make it fun. Um, <laughs> it, doesn't, it, does, it doesn't feel like a slap in the face. It feels like well, right on. Let's let's do it. Um. You know, because life really is this beautiful adventure. Um, And when it doesn't feel like that, that's part of the adventure. (laughs) That's part of, you know, the wake-up call to say, hey, let's go find what's fun and humorous in this part of our story.
0: Oh, thank you, Steve. That was just so beautifully said. I love your clarity around the ingredients for a full life. And you know me, okay? So for those of you who don't know, the human brain responds really well to three, okay? So Steve's three things, Dr. Annika's three things, you know, the brain is naturally wired for that. And so liberty, labor, and love. And then I'm one of the unusual people. My brain is actually hardwired for fours. (laughs) And so I got a fourth one to put in there. Right on. (laughs) Liberty, labor, love, and laughter.
1: Nice.
0: It does my heart happy to see and hear you laughing, Steve. It just does my heart happy. You know, fun is the brain's natural reward for learning something new. And we know this as kids. We, we love, we have fun learning how to walk. We have fun learning how to tie a shoe. We have fun learning when we're little, right up until the point that what they wanted us to learn was to sit still, which is not the natural state of any child, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we got this uphill battle with managing stress because we got trained out of moving our bodies every day. All the time, being in motion. I finally gave up having a desk and a desk chair. And I do everything from a standing position because that's the only way I could get movement. That was Actually, it wasn't the only way. It was the easy way for me to get some movement back into my day because I had to move. Um, now, it has some other challenges with this. I don't recommend it for everybody, but this was my first foray into owning my story. You know, if, if I wanted to get off my assets, I could never get on my assets. That was one way to just avoid the problem of sitting too much. Just don't ever sit out. Yeah, I mean, we, and, and this, this could have a whole comedy routine now I'm seeing this and I'm going, aha, Steve's gonna turn this into something funny. I see you grinning. Yeah, you know? <laughs> your ability, Steve, to help other people find their stories turn them into something that's tangible and helps change the world. The fact that you're willing to be a guide for people on the journey that you yourself are currently living speaks volumes to your character. Most of us wait until we think we've got something pretty perfect before we'll even attempt to share it. And you didn't wait. You just sort of said, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going first, and if um, I'll try to make it easy if people want to follow me. And as far as I'm concerned, Steve, that's a true definition of leadership. So thank, thank you. you.
1: Well, let me tell you that my struggle with perfectionism is still alive and kicking. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a house where things were perfect, um, where, my dad was fastidious. He, everything in his room was lined up parallel and you know, it was just beautiful. I mean, it literally was. I mean, talk about a beautiful closet. He had a beautiful closet. Um, and I grew up thinking that that's the way it had to be that, that I needed to be like that in order to be valuable. And so it kept me from producing, doing the work that I love to do. It kept me from, he was also an artist, and the work that he could do when I was a kid and the work that I could do, there was a huge gap between the two. And so I said, okay, well, if I can't do that, then I can't do that, right? It's not I can't do that now. It's not I can't do that, you know, someday. It's no, I can't do that. And so often, you know, talk about those things in our closet. You know, how how many times have we got shoved in our closet that we say, you know, I just can't do it. I, I'm not, and I can't tell you how often I hear people telling me, you know, I can't draw, I can't, you know, draw a straight line. Well, honestly, neither can I, but, you know, it unless I've got a ruler, but.
0: Yeah, yeah um, you said that lines are supposed to be straight.
1: Right, exactly. Well, you look at life. You know, you look at, I'm looking out the window and seeing all these trees and the grass and the bushes and all that stuff and not single one of them is, is straight. You know, straight is what we think that is supposed to be. And, you know, jagged lines, you know, and, and imperfect, more organic lines, you know, is actually where the beauty is. It, it, I got into graphic design since leaving, when I left corporate accounting, I dove head first into the creative pool and did everything I could possibly do that was creative. And I went to graphic design because in graphic design, I can literally make the lines very much straight. <laughs> and what I realized was that people didn't respond to that the same way that they respond to my drawings that aren't straight. You know, we don't want straight lines. You know, we want something that, that looks beautiful, that looks natural, that looks alive and straight lines you know, don't tend to look alive. They look very much man-made and very rigid, you know, and
0: and by... You've hit upon something really key here, that there are no straight lines in nature. And so what feeds our soul in art is where it pulls up for us the the experience of a natural world, in my opinion. And, And so what you just said helps me understand a great deal where the value of art is, is that it's not straight lines for the most part, and it is a journey into a a window into someone's soul. So the idea, and I love the journey, okay? The certainty of numbers and accounting to the illusion of um, control in graphic design to where you are now is such an amazing journey.
1: You know, the cool thing about it too, is I don't, and this is more recent, I abandoned the, the numbers and the money and the, you know, all that f- world of finance and everything. And, and I wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, when I tried to do it, it triggered bad feelings and bad results. Um, and I had to make peace with it, which is something that's been much more recent and realize, you know what, there, there's still beauty in the numbers. There's still beautiful beauty in straight lines. You know, it's just, being able to choose, you know, which is appropriate here. You know, are we looking for, you know, a straight line, you know, when I'm building my house, which fortunately I have other people do that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> Amen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or am I looking, you know, to, to express myself with the jagged lines and the, you know, the, um, the curvature and all that, you know, it, it's being able to choose, you know, having the freedom to say, you know, what's appropriate here. You know, when I'm balancing my checkbook, I don't wanna have, you know, some number that doesn't make sense. I want it to get down to where it literally balances, you know, and, but, you know, that's not what, that's in that environment. You know, when I'm creating something, you know, like the illustrations I did this weekend, you know, um, I just wanted to create to express, you know, and and if there's a straight line in it, which I doubt, you know great <laughs> but you know it's just being willing and able to make the choice that's appropriate in the moment you know and and that comes from playing you know and and you know i think a good way to, to look at that is through laughter you know through comedy you know
0: it, there um, we go all right so the, the perfect sketch
1: often involves lots and lots of you know jagged lines <laughs>
0: I think that the journey you're on is nothing short of amazing. So I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation. So for everyone watching this episode, know that stories are never ending. They never come to a conclusion. You don't get to the end of them and you get to choose what you write about them or what you keep in the closet. (laughs) Um, But if there's one thing, Steve, that, I'm very much aware of and very much appreciate about your journey. It's the lesson that what we keep in the closet weighs us down. Yeah, so lovely that your daughter is willing to share her closet story with the rest of us, willing for you to do that. Awesome that you brought up the fact that it was seven years from the moment that she acknowledged to one other person that she had a closet. I mean, let's face it, seven years from the time that she got that she had a closet, and you know, we know that we get it when we actually tell one person. Yeah, so she got that she had a closet, and seven years she carried the weight before she shared it with you. And, what she did in that moment by sharing with you was give you permission to look in your own closet and no matter how long it takes this is for everybody no matter how long it takes before you accept that we've all got something you might have something in your closet doesn't mean you got to go throw the door wide open and shine a big light on it with a video camera on national news. (laughs) what, What it means is that you're just willing to say, oh, this is in my closet. And just start there. Just start with giving yourself permission to acknowledge what's in your closet because your slap in the face moment was from the marketing message of the summit. My slap in the face moment was the day my daughter stood up and publicly disclosed the family closet. She threw the door open to the family closet of her multiple suicide attempts as a teenager. And I will tell you that a slap in the face is a slap in the face. And your ability. To go from slap in the face to slapstick in a few short weeks is nothing, nothing short of amazing, Steve. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jackie.
0: Hugs to you, my friend. And back to you. And everyone can look in the show notes for Steve's amazing offer and come back. The ride gets more interesting from here.